Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, a CBS sports podcast. I am Mike Casaza here rapidly reacting after West Virginia. Um, Chris Anderson, West Virginia did what it's done this season, which is build a lead, have a hot start, look good, really come crashing back down to earth, have a resurrection, kind of get the fans hopes up. And then at the end of the season here, just cannot close the gate on a, I would say, a very evenly matched opponent. This is an 8-9 game. Maryland, I don't know, prevails, escapes, pulls out a 67-65 win. We're here to talk about this. Um, we have not prepared. That's the best and maybe worst part about this. This game evokes so many possible reactions. Where, oh, where do we begin? In a game where West Virginia had two separate runs that accounted for a 30 to nothing, 30 to zero, zero punto zero points in favor of West Virginia. And the winning team only scored 67 points. West Virginia lost. Hmm. It is hard thing for me to wrap my head around that you have a 16 to nothing run and a 14 to nothing run in the same game. And you lose. 13-point lead early. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there, there's so many stats here, and this is the one that I want to circle. It's a 13-point lead early, but listen, it's early, and it's a March Madness game. I think anybody who thought that West Virginia was going to run and hide in this game probably misled. Anybody who thought Maryland was going to fold up and just go from 13 to 31-point deficit probably misled. Obviously, this is going to come back to earth how it came back to earth is is really what stands out to me. Chris, at one point the turnovers were points off turnovers were nine to zero in West Virginia's favor. It was eleven to nine in Maryland's favor at the end of the first half. And guess who led at halftime? <laughs> Maryland. And yep. and listen, that's how it happens. You you play really well. I thought West Virginia was very organized, communicative, disruptive on defense in the first half. Did not do a lot of pressing, did some trapping, but only when the ball got out way too high and they they made things difficult where you can explain this. So if you got a pass vertically, that makes it a lot easier to fend things. And and they did well to do that. And then almost like on a flip on a switch, Maryland called a timeout. Amazing when that happens. And really turned things around with a run to get back. In. And then West Virginia's defense just really kind of, I, I would kind of frittered a little bit here and just didn't look as good at the end of the first half. And then this was a game the rest of the way. Um, stepping back, you know, a thousand yards there. This is a fun game, man. This is an eight nine game. This is a Mars game, right down to the ball. Keith Johnson ties lead changes, as you mentioned, a sixteen zero run, a fourteen zero run against a team that had only allowed nine runs of ten zero or worse this season. Season very stingy on defense. West Virginia has two of those ten zero runs. Keydrian Johnson had one of them on his own. West Virginia, not a team that gets a lot of runs. They had nine all season coming into the game. They have two today. And right is playing in a way that maybe it's not accustomed to playing. This doesn't look like the team you saw all year at the most critical moments. West Virginia kind of was West Virginia. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. And at the what under 12 timeout, I guess West Virginia was up 13 at that point. And Maryland was two of seven shooting, two of seven shooting at that point. And after that, they shot 55% from the field. 
from that point on. It, it felt like based off of that start and a couple of those those runs, as we're talking about again, that's that's offense and defense, obviously contributing to a 16-0 and a 14-0 run. Um, that you would think that hey, West Virginia played great defense. And they kind of did at times, but they still allowed the Terrapins to shoot 51% from the game and 55, 56% after that quick start. And, and I think that just really is what I, – I, it's hard to say if it was offense or defense, but that that kind of shows you what was going on with the defense there because it, it didn't – it felt like Maryland was getting the ball in the bucket when they wanted to and, and at crucial times there. Um, I think in that second half – I don't want to jump into the, to all the different things first because, I, I mean, I obviously had I had a lot of thoughts on the rapid reactions that went up on the board. Um, that 13, I think it was 13-4 to four in the first half. Mm-hmm. That was one of them. And, and I know we've already talked about it several times on the on the board and even on social media. I mean, West Virginia had a chance to kind of, I don't want to say put it away, but you're up 13-4. to four, And Maryland's in the midst of a six-plus-minute drought without scoring a single point. And WVU can't extend the lead like they, they missed wide open threes layups um missed three more jumpers at a turnover where joe toussaint just traveled mm-hmm. with no one forcing anything on him and allowed maryland to get multiple offensive rebounds in a row and and it's just stretches like that that you're going to remember as a coach and be like man right there instead of 13 to 4 could have been 19 to 4 it could have been, you know, it could have been 20 to four and and then you're hitting that three is 23 and then it's just kind of over. But West Virginia could not step on their throat early in the game. No. And some stats from West Virginia are indicative of, of how this team plays in a good sense. Second chance points are 18 to seven. Offensive rebounds are 16 to eight. West Virginia out rebounds Maryland by six. Maryland, a pretty good rebounding team. Um, and in the end of the game, really in the second half, there's just nine turnovers combined in the second half. Points off turnovers end up even. 13-13. Um, that means West Virginia 4-2 advantage in the second half. It really came back to normal there, too. Um, but, man, field goal percentage for the game. Um, 51 for the game for Maryland. They start, again, on the on the back foot here, too. They were 2-7, for seven, Chris, in the first 10 minutes of the game. And the next 10 minutes, which means as they go to halftime, 9-12. for 12. That's how you get back in the game. And a lot of that was West Virginia facilitating things with turnovers here, too. Uh, quickly looking at the box score here, some numbers that do stand out. Um, we, we we mentioned Emmett Matthews. I think this might have surprised some people, too. Emmett Matthews have been pretty good in March lately. If you go back in his career, he's had success in March. Uh, a little injury today. Didn't do a whole lot. Um, but in his career in March, 13 and 10, 23 games, right? But he's averaging 11.7 points, double digits in eight straight March games, 14 out of 23 in all, 20 or more points four times. I mention that because this is a guy who who might be the team's most valuable, most dependable, most important player. Chris, he's one for three today with three rebounds. He missed a free throw. Um, and again, shoulder injury that did it, but did not get back in the game quickly. Who knows how hurt he is, but... Um, Legacy games at Legacy Arena, certainly not it. In addition, Eric Stevenson waiting his whole life to play in the NCAA tournament. Four for 17. Um, sat for about 10 minutes in the second half and then, frankly, tried to make up for lost time when he got back in, I think, to the detriment of the offense. And then Jimmy Bell. Chris, he can come back next year 
th- there's going to have to be some change here. He fouls out in 11 minutes, doesn't take a shot, and just, I mean, frankly, has to be more astute, more shrewd as a player here, even if the officiating is kind of wonky, as it certainly was in this game. They need him on the floor. They struggle without him, uh, and then they struggled with him, first half, second half. Guys they needed to play well did not play well, and unfortunately that combines to offset a career game from Kedrian Johnson, who was on fire, but also, I mean, I would say largely absent for a significant portion of this game too. Yeah, that was that was what led off my rapid reactions was the Kedrian mm-hmm. Johnson thing because he he went on that 10-0 run. I mean, he was playing like a man possessed. He was getting where he wanted, when he wanted, against whomever he wanted. And then after that, it was right at, right after that 10-0 run. You know, Seth Wilson um, jumps on that with his own three after that, and I think somebody else hit a three after that as well. So I thinking, all right, this offense is, is cooking right now. But those other threes came from pass. No, I think one of them was Keedy's as well. It was Seth Wilson and then back to Keedy Johnson for another three. And all of a sudden, like, he's just gone. He, he If you go back and watch from about that point on until the last minute or two, it is Joe Toussaint's offense for some reason. Yeah. And uh, and Keedy's just standing off on the left wing as a decoy. And I think, you know, hey, who's to blame for that? I think you can spread the blame around. I mean, some of that, like, if you see that as a coach, you got to call that out and say, hey, 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 we've been riding this guy. He's doing whatever he wants. Get him the ball. You call timeout, do whatever, talk to your guys during a free throw or an out of bounds or something. But also, I don't understand why Keedy's not going to get the ball. It, it seemed like he wasn't putting, like, I mean, he's obviously busting his butt out there. So I'm not calling into question his effort at all, but just being okay with Toussaint running the offense or the offense running through someone else. And then I think that's, that's the moment where you have to just take charge and say, no, no, no. I'm the man today, and he was the man today. And go get that ball and take it. And, and it was just – he was gone for like 10 minutes of game time, and then all of a sudden he's back in the last couple minutes, and he gets uh, right to the rim for a layup, draws a foul for a couple more free throws, and that's the only time that the offense is cooking is when he gets the ball back in his hands. And I think that was the biggest mistake for West Virginia in that second half was just not continuing to ride the hot hand there. 15.05, he makes a three-pointer. They go up 47-38. 7.39, he misses a three-pointer. It's tied 54-54. 2.15, he makes a layup. That makes it 64-61. That that speaks pretty loudly here. Um, to me, let's go back to Stevenson here. Wrote about this earlier in the week. In his in the 19 wins for West Virginia, he is 17.4 points per game, 50.4, 46.2, field goal percentage, three-point percentage. In the losses, 13.1 points per game, 35.7, 26.5. Field goal percentage, three-point percentage. We mentioned his numbers today, four for 17, one for four, nine points. And the plus-minus on him, probably not going to do him a lot of favors, you would think, right? Sure enough, minus eight. Only players who are worse, Joe Toussaint, minus 10. Pat Sumnick, believe it or not, minus 11. I think he gave them a little bit of a spark. Unfortunately, he goes 0 for 3 despite his four rebounds, commits two fouls, and had a chance to finish some plays and to make some moves around the basket and really couldn't. And, you know, here we are, Chris. If if I told you a week ago, if I told you three months ago that West Virginia might be in a situation where Pat Sumnick and Kedrian Johnson didn't do enough, that might be strange, but that's how maybe small this margin was. Kedrian Johnson maybe doesn't do enough on a day he – Scores 27 points on 8 for 13 shooting. 
Um, that's weird, right? But that's kind of who he's become. You might not have anticipated that in November. Pat Sumnick, 0 for 3, and again, had his chances on some stuff. Could have had three-point plays, could have had baskets, just missed some stuff around the rim, even though he was active to get to those positions. And I think if you're hinging on those that those opportunities late in the game, you're, you're kind of looking about how dire the situation is here because, again, really nothing from Jimmy Bell, hardly anything from James Oconco, who actually played three more minutes than Jimmy Bell. And they pretty clearly missed uh, Muhammad Wagi in the final stretch of the season this year. Overall, just a very strange game here, too. Any other statistics um, stand out? Because before the game, I posed the question to both boards, free board, VIP board. Hey, you can only pick one stat, one trend, one matchup. What one concerns you most or gives you the most reason to believe? A lot of answers, and man, darn if a lot of them weren't accurate here. Uh, what about you, Chris? What one had you concerned? And then maybe how did that one turn out? Or what's one that you look back with retrospect now and say, man, that really does explain things? Well, one of the big ones was was pointed out by a member of our board because I, I talked something about uh, Eric Stevenson coming off of ref, rest off of uh, where he had at least four days in between games. Great stat here. And it was like 27, you know, 27 points, 23 points, 27 points and rebounds and assists in all three of those games and, and really done well when they when he had a lot of rest. I said, here you go. This is another opportunity. Got countered. And, and I'm sorry, I'll have to go back and look. Maybe I'll throw it into the comment section of this podcast. But somebody came back and said, the concern is Maryland pushes out on the three, just like West Virginia does. They come all the way out. They don't mm -hmm. and get up in your face and kind of dare you to drive the basket. And to his credit, Stevenson said, okay, I'll take that early. And he did that for the first couple minutes. And then he kind of started settling. But I mean, his, his game is shooting the three. Maryland takes away the three. And it was like, oh, no, if you're taking away the three, that means Stevenson's, I don't want to say out of the game, but he's he's going to be at a detriment here. Seth Wilson's going to be kind of behind the eight ball, not going to be able to contribute too much. Uh, Trey Mitchell is not a driver. Emmett Matthews, I'm not so much, you know, dribble driving. Uh, he can cut. But all of a sudden it was looking like, man, Maryland sets you up to your point guards have to be able to get to the basket. And your big men have to be able to take care of one-on-ones in the post. And I, I did not think that Jimmy Bell was going to be able to do that. I didn't think James Conquo was going to do that. Neither of them did. Uh, combined zero points for those two. So it, it coming into the game, I said, this is going to be all on Keedy and Toussaint's shoulders. Mm -hmm. And you know, Keedy tried. He really did. But it just wasn't enough in the end. Two numbers stand out to me. Uh, you know, I'm going to lie. I'm going to give you a couple more numbers here. Um, Dante Scott and Jameer Young, they were 12-1 and one this year uh, when those two combined for 30 or more points. Those are their two top scores. They had 21 tonight on a combined 5-for-12 shooting. Uh, Young didn't have it. He had some foul trouble. He was 1-for-5. Um, Scott, 4-for-7. Actually made a big three late in the game, too. Eight rebounds. He's very good inside. Kind of surprised me a little bit. And they still get it done because they get 17 Julian Reese. They get 15 from Hakeem Hart. Uh, Pat Emelian comes off the bench, makes two shots, five points, supplemented things a little bit. That was one I wondered about because this is not a, a two-man team, but they get a lot of their points in two players. And again, 12-1 and one in a 33-game season, that's that's more than a trend. That's kind of a, a tell for a team. The early lead was important to me because maybe West Virginia is a team that, that can come back on you, but, boy, they're really good when they play from the front. They they build 10-point leads. They build double-digit leads. They're good. Also, they're 19-4 and four when they lead at halftime this year. Chris are now 0-11 when they trail at halftime. 
And to be down at the half doesn't mean they're going to lose the game, but they certainly had a chance to be up and in command at the half and didn't. Uh, Maryland, 2-10 and 10 when it trails at halftime. Now 20-2 and two when it leads at halftime. That was important to me. Uh, free throws are always going to be important to West Virginia. I think when you look at metrics, you say, wow, how is this one of the most efficient offenses in the country? Well, they shoot pretty well from three-point range, and they make a lot of free throws. They get extra shots because of offensive rebounds as well. Um, the free throw line is also good to Maryland. They're not as as active because they play fewer possessions in West Virginia. They're a slow team. You saw that today. I, I would say a slower team. Maryland goes 15 for 22 at the line. Some of that is fouls late in the game, but it's also some of that is fouls they really did not have to foul. They being West Virginia, they committed some fouls far from the basket late on a regulation, late on the game that were, I think, kind of costly. And they just go just, but they make 13 to 16. So they're outscored by two. They're out-attempted by six. That's an advantage there in the margin. Not only wasn't big enough for West Virginia against a good defensive team, but was not on West Virginia's side. And then finally here, turnovers. West Virginia does turn the ball over, but West Virginia was 13 and four, excuse me, 15 and four when it committed fewer turnovers. Make that 15 and five now. Maryland now 18 and four when it commits fewer turnovers. And again, the turnovers are just a one turnover differential in Maryland's favor. It's a one possession game, Chris. And if you, if you can, Go back and watch the tape here. How many times did West Virginia just have the ball taken away or bobble it or have a chance to to grab a volleyball and couldn't? I would say, I don't know, four, five, six of those went in Maryland's favor. If, I don't know, just three, four, five of those go in Maryland's favor, maybe this is a different game. Um, and it comes down to very, very small margins. You might have to really squint and look for to find. And the big ones really seem to stack up on Maryland's side. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I had one more that I almost called to the point before the game. Maryland, 19-0 when they get to 68 points. Yep. 2-12 and 12 when they don't. They missed that final free throw with four seconds left and finished with 67 points. So <laughs> they were they're right there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a tight game. It was kind of a rock fight i mean again maryland ended up shooting 50 percent, but they turned it over a good bit and um missed a lot of threes missed some free throws um but not too far from what i i think most people expected out of this one um, mike can i ask you a question or it, it, tell me before you answer it mm -hmm. if you don't want to answer it if it deserves its own podcast but i'm going to ask you do you consider this season a success I do in, in the macro and the micro version, too. I think it's very hard to be down and out like you were last year in a major conference. And then to, like, listen, they had to do a complete teardown and build up. And they did. And I've mentioned this number a bunch. Sorry if it's, if it's repetitive. But seven teams missed the postseason, not just the tournament, the postseason last year from a major conference and made it back this year. Um, West Virginia is one of them. And there's, what, 36 at-large bids. So there's not a whole lot of room to get back in from a major conference. Or, or even from other conferences. Like, it's hard because other conferences are multi-bid leagues. But West Virginia got it. And I think earned it, too, by the way it played at the end of the season. I think that's a success. When you look at being 0-5 in the Big 12, when you look at later in the season losing the Texas Tech game, they were they were behind 
a bunch and they came back. I think the start of the year, we we devoted a whole podcast to this. I think Bob Huggins got a little bit chippy with the media at one time where having to answer the question or having to be asked the question, hey, could this be like last year? Why isn't this like last year? And then all of a sudden it looked an awful lot like last year until it didn't. And to make that quick of a change, you know, in spite of nine first-year players having to integrate all the transfers and, and the the, the quote-unquote culture change there, having to ride out Eric Stevenson's up and downs, having to get a guy like Jimmy Bell in the lineup and on the floor every game, having to try to find some semblance of a bench, firing an assistant coach and hiring an assistant coach, playing that brutal Saturday-Monday grind three weekends in a row in the Big 12, shaking off a 30-point loss to the eventual Big 12 champion, excuse me, 34-point loss to the eventual Big 12 champion, that is a lot of strikes at the pinata there, and they never spilled. They got back... Um, even though today is bad to be in after last year, to be in after where things are this year, uh, it's not the success that people wanted or maybe that people are accustomed to from vintage Bob Huggins seasons at West Virginia. It's certainly not what the Mountaineers wanted. I believe that they thought they were going to win this game and then beat Alabama. Didn't happen on either account. I don't think it takes away from a reasonable accomplishment, but nevertheless an accomplishment this year. I'm with you. I think, uh, before the season, I said 17 to 14 with Huggins predict, begging to get in the tournament because of his strength of schedule, 18 and 13, and in the tournament because of strength of schedule. So he it, it was Ooh. at my expectations, maybe slightly exceeded it. Um, but as I mentioned, in our rapid reactions, you kind of have like an expectation reset when you get to to the postseason of what you expect now. Now that you're there, and I think this was a Maryland team that had its flaws. I mean, just like West Virginia has its flaws, but it was one that I thought West Virginia could take advantage of uh, one, a game that as we saw West Virginia easily could have won. Like there were times where they could have kept stretching it out. They could have uh, taken that, you know, had a lead late and just kind of blew it. And I think that when you lose your final game against a team that you feel like you should have beat, that's always a rough way to end the season, and it kind of skews your view of how the whole season went. But I, I think you did a nice job of putting it into perspective there about all those roads. Because, you know, my comment about what I predicted preseason and what ended up happening kind of skips that whole middle section, all those steps, all those slide backs, all the 0-5 the start, the injuries, firing an assist, a longtime assistant coach, having to hire a coach midseason, just like you said, and then trying to finish down the stretch in the toughest league in the entire country, maybe the toughest league ever, and you make it. And I think that gives you some belief that this was a success, and there's the glimmer of hope for the future, I think, because of what happened this year and how quickly Huggins was able to turn around. Because I think a lot of people, and I don't think they were wrong to think this, I think that maybe they were a little quick on it, to, to think that, hey, this whole transfer portal thing is going to throw Huggins through a loop and it's not going to work. Because he he didn't want to do the portal thing. Didn't want to. And when he did, he went for, like, lower-level role players instead of difference makers. And that's why West Virginia was where they were a year ago. That's why they were where they were, you know, heading into the last offseason trying to figure out what's going on. But he's embraced it now. He's changed it. He's shown that he can hit. You know, he's changed his philosophy, went out and got the guys that he felt could make a, an actual difference in the transfer portal, and it worked. 
So now there's a hope that he can do it again this coming season. My turn, Chris. Go. Question for you if you want to answer, and perhaps this gets an entire podcast episode. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What now? This team got a taste. It loses Kedrian Johnson, Emmett Matthews, Eric Stevenson. Um, I would say, inarguably, those are your three top players. There is some argument as to who is the most important, but it probably became Kedrian Johnson, even though Eric Stevenson had it earlier all along. Emmett Matthews was kind of important in a sneaky way, but still important. They're gone. And I think of the returning players who could leave, but may also be back, you might anticipate some leaving. Ridiculous. I think all of the underclassmen and all the seniors who can come back are going to be back. It's just not the way college basketball works this year. But also, here's a team that you thought, all right, they just need a point guard. Maybe they need a big, too, because you, you just can't play four on five if you're going to have this type of a style. And it's not four on five like, for example, Gabo Saboyan, because Gabo Saboyan became, a, I would say, a pretty effective offensive player. Not perfect, but he could do things for you. And Jimmy Bell does not rebound prolifically, screen prolifically, block shots prolifically enough to make up for, I would say, a, a lack of scoring on offense here. And I'm just, I'm just curious about where things go for him in the future. Where do they go in the portal? Do they go for freshmen? Um, they've already gotten a star with Omar Silverio from Manhattan. I'm answering your question here, but I think you can kind of tell how how curious and uncertain I am about the future not because of today even though today maybe continue some of that conversation but here's a team that answered a lot of questions but is going to have to answer a comparable number of questions again next year yeah I think this kind of hammers home I was it a week ago or so I uh no I guess I was on vacation a week ago but once I got back from vacation wrote a story and included at the bottom about how West Virginia was touching base with a few transfers and I said, hey, like, the focus has to be point guard and center. I kind of left out wing, shooting guard, all that stuff. I think that's that's definitely important. Important. I feel like a couple of those pieces are there. I'm sure they'll still pursue guys out on the perimeter. But we saw how important point guard was. We see how important center is. And even with the potential for all three of the big men to come back, are any of those three, like, the guy? Right now, I don't think there should be any confidence that any of those three guys are going to be the guy. I mean, Bell has been, you know, completely absent on offense for the better part of a couple months now. Um, he, he gets into a foul trouble quite a bit. And Aconquo, I, I don't think we've ever really considered an, an offensive threat uh, at that position. And defensively, while he can block shots, we saw today and we've seen it from a couple other teams. Like a Reese, Reese just bodied him up. Once you get your body into a shot blocker, mm -hmm. they can't block your shot. It's or it's a lot harder to block shots. And he just put his body on him, and Conquo couldn't do anything. Like he got right next to the rim anytime he wanted with that. So he's got to beef up or change the way he plays or something because um, it can't continue like that. And then Wagi, you know, similar, but also now hurt with a foot injury, stress fracture apparently with which is never what you want to hear with a guy who's, what, 6'10", 6'11", got a lot of weight on that. That's not something very positive. So that's a big-time need at center. Big, big, big-time need. I think you're going to find them searching hard for a big man in point guard. Whatever Joe Toussaint is and isn't, um, 
I don't know if you can ride with him as your main point guard and distributor for the entire season. I think you, you have to go out and get somebody to replace Keedy because Toussaint almost – he just reminds me of that guy that's like your sixth, your sixth guy, your guy off the bench that just comes in and tries to cook real quick, a little microwave and score some points and do some things. But he is not the guy that you want, you know, running your entire offense um, the way that Keedy did. And and even Keedy, you know, let other people run it sometimes too. But you got to get another point guard in there. Doing the math in my head right here, um, they're only going to have one scholarship. Is this correct? I, I was going to say, whatever the numbers are, I imagine they'll end up adding. I mean, you, you count what they've already added. Um, at least two or three more. All right, like let's do the exercise then. You ready? Okay. Mitchell, one. Bell, two. Tucson, three. Seth Wilson, four. Wagee, five. James Oconquo, six. Kobe Johnson, seven. Josiah Harris, eight. Jamel King, nine. Pat Sumnick, ten. Um, not mentioned, Josiah Davis, Jose Perez, 11, 12, because they're going to be on scholarship. And they got Silverio. That's 13. Guess mm-hmm. what? Some of those names are not going to be back. And I say some because it's going to be more than one. And I think you can probably take guesses. I'm not here to do that. But you can look at playing time and patterns across the season, and especially late in the season where West Virginia had to win games and was not bringing people off the pine. Um, you can probably expect social media posts in the not-too-distant future here. Um, they're going to create room if the room isn't created for them because they've got to get better on the perimeter and the backcourt and the post. It's not just one position there. They're going to have to be all around better because – they're losing a shooter, a point guard, and a wing. Well, and uh, what is it? We got there's 15 days, no, 45 days coming up on this window for basketball. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean it's already happened. You're already seeing it for teams that did not make the NCAA tournament. You're already seeing guys enter the portal right away. So I imagine, yeah, I'm with you. I think um, probably should be on the lookout in the next few days for for guys to enter the portal. Close on this, Chris. Headline, March 16, 2022. One was about Jalen Bridges and Isaiah Cottrell going in the portal. One was about Kedrian Johnson coming back. One was about Bob Huggins' history of fixing it. Fast forward just one calendar year. West Virginia in the NCAA tournament loses but does get back. A big difference in a year. And the funny thing is there is progress for sure. You can't argue that. You don't go all the way back to start but you certainly have to revert a little bit because this work never ends they're going to have to do some stuff i think that's kind of sobering after a season that you might celebrate in some regard but it's nevertheless true Um, accomplishment for sure but you kind of reset the board a little bit because it has to happen again you're going to have to be as good to get back here maybe even better to go further you just don't want to be an eight nine seed that plays a comparable team then faces the number one in the second round you like to get higher and better by the way in the most difficult conference in the country while reloading your roster that's tough but that's also the task oh yeah let me go back and look for my own story mike the history of bob huggins fixing it gotta update it i am gonna have to update it because guess what did it again fixed uh so far it, moving in the right direction let's say i don't i don't I, well hey I, i'll ask you this, uh, what do we got one minute left I'll give you give you one minute to answer this one because this was the question that was asked of me on the radio the other day from up in DC. Like, what are the expectations for West Virginia? Like in a five year span, like what what are your expectations there? Tournament every year? Yeah, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a big ask. Okay, tournament every year. Mm-hmm. 
uh, what, a uh, Sweet 16 out of five? Say, I would say you got to win a Sweet 16 game once in those five years, just because that's that's the bar. Here's a team that's been in the Sweet 16 and hasn't gotten past it since, what, the final four year, correct? Mm-hmm. And that, that leaves people unfulfilled and empty, uh, especially fans. Um, you see a lot of just random one-off programs get to the Sweet 16, maybe even win a game. Heck, get to the Final Four, St. Peter's. Not saying you got to do that, but like if you're going to get in every year, you should be making a move. I mean, I would say if you're going to get in five times in five years, probably should win a Sweet 16 game once ever from a Power Five conference. Okay, I think I was trying to remember exactly what answer I gave, but I said making to the tournament every year and getting a win at least three of those years and making a Sweet 16 at least once. I think was my answer. So we're not yeah. we're not far off in what we 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 expect from this program or what. Probably what WVU expects of themselves. Well, we'll grab the scalpel now and try to dissect this game, this season, this coming off season, this rebuild, this this fix? Question mark. Don't know. Got a lot of time on our hands because uh, basketball season over at West Virginia. Football starts uh, fledgling fashion Tuesday of next week, Chris. Believe it or not, save the ticker tape for another time. We'll get to football when it comes around the corner. But right now, basketball season over. Fun season, up and down, roller coaster, early, middle, end of the season, and ultimately in the final game, Maryland wins 67-65, advances to presumably play number one overall seed Alabama Saturday in Birmingham. Chris, been a fun season, huh? It has. A little better than the past. We'll see if they can uh, spin things back to normal and start over again. We'll cover it all here on the site in the not-too-distant future. Until then, I'm Mike Casazza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We will talk to you next time.